0: Good morning, church. How are you today? Nice to see you. Uh, for those of you who are our guests or are new or uh, maybe watching online, my name is Darren. I'm one of the pastors on staff, and we are uh, we're jumping in this morning into our Christmas series called Given. I'll explain that to you uh, in a few minutes, but I I feel like it's uh, worth really quick celebrating as we continue our worship, uh, celebrating something awesome that God has done. A little bit of family business here. Many of you know that uh, over Thanksgiving we we had a uh, sort of an initiative. Our Thanksgiving offering this year was called Fifty Thousand Days of Christmas, which is a little confusing. Um, but, but the idea with it was that we've done Thanksgiving offerings in the past uh, where we worked on you know, remodeling areas of our church or working on buildings and we said this year we really wanna try <clears throat> and, and uh, collect and gather uh, a, Christmas, a Thanksgiving offering that then could be entirely distributed to our, our neighbors and our friends, people in the community who have needs, whether that's people that need auto repair or people that need you know, educational materials or single moms who just need a night out or whatever, you know, just ways to love on our community. And we set this sort of lofty goal of saying, man, we really think it would be awesome to put together uh, $50,000 towards giving to our community at, at Christmas. And um, we knew that that, that, that was going to be a little bit of a stretch and we weren't totally sure, but we were trusting God for it. And on Monday this week, I got the final uh, report that we actually exceeded that goal. So uh, more than $50,000 has come in and uh, it's amazing We've already, we've assembled a team of people from the congregation who are looking at all the suggestions that were made. By the way, if you still have suggestions of people in our community that could use some assistance, uh, we're still taking some of those suggestions. We've got a team of people that are assessing those. And actually, the distribution of that money has already begun. We've already given out some things. In fact, we also had a, uh, one of the things that came in was a donation of shoes. We had 200 brand new uh, Nike, sets of Nike tennis shoes come in um, that we're kind of already distributing to folks. And so it just, it's been a huge blessing. We wanted to praise God for the ways in which he moved generously through his people, and and we'll be telling the stories more over the coming weeks of uh, what what these gifts are going to sort of bless people with. You'll hear more stories about that in the coming weeks, but I wanted you to know uh, just what a blessing it is to be part of a community like this where God stirs in people a generosity that kind of goes even beyond what what we would anticipate, so thanks for that, and praise God for it. Uh, We're we're beginning this morning our series uh, for Christmas. We'll be in this for three weeks and Christmas Eve called Given. And the idea with this series is, uh, you know, when we, when we think about Christmas, we, we recognize that ultimately Christmas is all about the giving of God's son. We know the prophecy in Isaiah that says, unto us uh, a son is born, unto us a child is given. And this idea that God gave us in the incarnation, the Lord Jesus, to come, to take our sin upon himself, to glorify the Father by paying the penalty for sin, rising from the dead, extending to broken people by his grace, resurrection life. We understand that even as as we sit around our christmas trees and exchange gifts that that gift exchange is meant to be a type or a picture of the gift of god's son but one of the things that sometimes gets missed when we think about the christmas story is that while god certainly gave the ultimate gift at christmas he also invited a whole menagerie of people To give as well. All of the characters you think of, when you think about the Christmas story, you picture the nativity set, all of them were invited to collaborate in the Christmas story. To give whatever they had. Whether they be shepherds, whether they be wise men, whether they be angels. All of these people, young Mary and Joseph, were invited to contribute. To give something as well. Now sometimes what they were giving was their hopes and dreams. Sometimes what they were giving was gold and frankincense and myrrh. Sometimes they were giving voice and testifying to what they had seen and heard. But God invited them to collaborate in the story of Christmas, and the reason why that's meaningful, and the reason why it's worth us taking the time to look at this Christmas season is that that invitation to collaboration continues to this day, that God continues to look at each and every one of us and say, hey, there's a story I'm telling, a redemptive story I'm telling in the course of human history, and it doesn't matter who you are or where you come from, I invite you to be a part of the story I'm telling. God continues to invite us to give to give of our lives, to give of our resources, to give of our time and our talents in order to contribute to the broader story that he's telling. And so each week in this series, we'll look at the ways that different people are giving to contribute to that Christmas story specifically. And this morning, uh, we'll begin with a study of the idea of heralds. Now, when I say heralds, I don't mean heralds, H A R O L D S, right? I'm not, I mean, some of these angels might have been named herald, uh, but it doesn't tell us that specifically. Uh, when we talk about heralds, we're talking about emissaries, right? We're talking about messengers which is what an angel is, by definition, a messenger. And in this story, in Luke chapter 2, which is a familiar text, if you've seen the Peanuts cartoon, you're probably familiar with this. Uh, In Luke chapter 2, it's sort of the famous passage about these angelic heralds that come to proclaim the birth of Jesus. But when we look at this text, what I want you to see this morning is that not only do we see the heralds that are angels in the text, we actually see a, a couple of different heralds. In the text, not only do we see the angels, but in the angels' message and in what they proclaim both to the shepherds and to Joseph and Mary, we see them reiterating things that had been heralded long before by the prophets. The content of their message is essentially a repetition of prophetic things that have been declared in the Old Testament. And so we see the prophets, we see the angels, and then because of their combined message, because of their combined witness, we see these shepherds who otherwise were just minding their sheep, they then are turned into heralds as well. They then are turned into witnesses as well. I wanna look at each of those in turn this morning as we look at the text. Let's begin in Luke chapter two, verse eight. In Luke two eight, it says, in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. <clears throat> the message that the angels declare is embedded with all kinds of prophetic declaration, things that had been prophesied much earlier. And there, there are more of them than we can even go into in turn here. But you know, there are some 300 plus prophecies in the Old Testament that are fulfilled in the person and work of Christ over 300 prophecies that were made long before Christ ever lived about both his birth, about his mission, about his method, about his death, about his resurrection. Just to give you an example of some of these, uh, and some of these will be familiar to you, but speaking specifically about this Christmas story, think about a verse like Micah 5.2. It says, but you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, Who are too little to be among the clans of Judah from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. When the angel shows up on the hillside and says to the shepherds, there is a Savior born to you in the city of David, he's simply repeating what was prophesied in Micah. We could look at a prophecy like Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 that says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. The proclamation that the angels make to Joseph and to Mary about their son, despite the fact that they weren't yet married, is a repetition of what had been prophesied in Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah chapter 9, talking about his government, about him being the Lord, the Christ, Isaiah 9, 7 says, Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. It prophesied about him being a God of peace when the angels appear, the heavenly host, and say, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. This peace had been declared early, it had been heralded by the prophets. Haggai chapter two, verse nine. When God is talking to his people about the fact that the glory of the future temple will be greater than the glory of the temple that had already been destroyed, he says to them this in Haggai chapter two, verse nine. He says, the latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. The people in Haggai were disappointed because they were trying to rebuild the temple and to them, it looked kind of scrawny. It looked kind of rough around the edges. They remembered the temple that had been before and they were feeling disappointed with what they had produced. And God says, no, 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 you don't get it. As glorious as you think that temple was, the glory of the next temple will be even greater. Why? Because in that temple I will bring in peace. Who is that peace? The peace is Messiah. In the new temple, Jesus would actually walk and teach and study. God says, no, there's peace yet to come. There's all kinds of prophecies throughout the Bible, these prophets who were inspired by God to give witness to what would come in the future. But the scriptures also teach us that despite all these prophecies, these prophecies and these prophets giving witness, that they didn't totally comprehend what it was they were even saying. In fact, if you have your Bible, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. In 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 10, it says this, it says, concerning this salvation, The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. It's a really interesting text here in 1 Peter chapter 1. The only place in the New Testament where we see angels and prophets grouped together and mentioned in the same context. And the context is that both of these groups declared things that they didn't totally comprehend. They declared things that they didn't totally understand. The prophets, it says, they searched intently and they studied to interpret what they themselves had written. I don't know if you've ever written something that you didn't totally understand. I had to write a couple of haikus in eighth grade and they were just nonsense, right? I looked at my own haikus and went, I don't know what this is about, right? I've crafted a haiku that is meaningless, right? First Peter chapter one, verses 10 through 12 says, these prophets were inspired by God. They put quill to papyrus. God inspired them and gave them words, but they themselves did not comprehend what they were prophesying. They were declaring things that they had to study. They had to study their own writings. They had to search intently into the things that they themselves had declared, and it was revealed to them, according to Peter, it was revealed to those prophets that they weren't serving themselves, but that they were serving us, that they were serving God by declaring things that seemed a mystery to them, but would be a key to unlock things for us. That they were glorifying God by using their testimony, using their witness to prepare the way. It's interesting. A few years ago, uh, when I was the director of the Joshua Institute at Hume Lake, we, uh, we took about 60 college students to work in conjunction with Habitat for Humanity. I don't know if you know that organization. Uh, Habitat for Humanity builds homes for the impoverished. And so I took 60 students. I got them all pumped up. I said, hey, we're going to go up. We went up to the San Francisco area. We were working in Oakland. I said, we're going to go up and we're going to build houses for people that can't afford homes. We're going to work all week. It's going to be tiring. It's going to be hard. It's going to be sweaty work. We're going to go up there, and build houses for people that can't afford them. And, Uh, Habitat for Humanity does a thing called sweat equity where the homeowners kind of work alongside you And so we're gonna get to meet these people that we're serving and whatever I take these 60 students up to oakland and we're all excited to build houses and we get there when we pull up to the job site It's just a dirt lot. It's a big empty dirt lot, right? And my students I remember them looking at me and being like We're gonna build a house in a week like we're gonna put up a house in a week and i'm like, I I mean I, I guess, I don't know anything about house building but I guess that's what we're gonna do. The, uh, the AmeriCorps crew shows up, the Habitat for Humanity people show up and they go okay, we're really excited to have 60 of you, we're gonna get a lot of work done this week. What we're gonna be doing all week is digging holes and pouring footings for foundations, right? And we, did, and we worked our butts off, sorry I said butts in church, we worked our butts off <laughs> all week, right? We'll, have to, we'll, we'll bleep that on the video later, we'll bleep it out. No, I'm just kidding. We worked all week, but at the end of the week, check this out, we dug footings, we mixed concrete, we poured concrete. At the end of the week, you could stand on the sidewalk in front of the lot and you could see nothing. We took a group picture, right? (laughs) I got my 60 college students and we all got together, you know, we did it and there's nothing in the field, right? There's nothing there. And I just remember the sense of disappointment we had at the time. Because what we'd envisioned was that we were going to build these houses, and the people who were going to live in those houses were going to come to us and hug us and say, thank you so much. We're going to think of you every day when we go to bed in these houses, and we're going to, you know, they'd kiss us and hug us, and, and we would feel a sense of their gratitude. But the reality is we worked our tails off all week, and you couldn't see, a, you couldn't even tell there were ever going to be houses there. I remember going back, I was back in Oakland about five years after that, and I remember thinking, I wanna find that neighborhood, and I drove back, and there were beautiful homes built in that place, kids in the yards, people riding their bikes down the streets, and I thought, you know what, somewhere in there, somewhere is some cement that I stuck my thumb in, right? But none of those people know that. None of those people see it. And in fact, I worked really hard and never really saw the fruit, never really even understood what those homes would look like, certainly never understood which families would move into them. I contributed to something that had nothing to do with me, really. And what First Peter chapter 1 is saying is that God invited these prophets to use their voice he inspired them. It tells us in 2nd Peter chapter 1 verse 20 about the way prophecy works. 2nd Peter 1:20 says, "Knowing this first of all that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit." What it's saying to us is that God invited these prophets to give voice, he inspired them to prophesy things that would unlock in the future. But for them, all they could do is look at what they'd, write, what they'd written and say, what is this? What does this mean, what's this about? What we, what, we poured some cement in a hole in a field? What's this gonna be? And so it says they studied intently and they tried to discern what their own writings had meant. These men gave witness without knowing what the end result would be. The prophets were inspired by the Holy Spirit to give witness to things they themselves wouldn't see and didn't understand. They gave without seeing the end result. They were contributors to an unfinished story. They served God by serving us. In fact, when Jesus is talking about the parables in Matthew chapter 13, verse 16, he says to his disciples in thirteen sixteen of Matthew, blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. They were hungry. They were anxious to know what this prophecy was about, and yet it was not revealed to them, and yet they gave. They gave what they had. You know, I think for many of us, we're willing to contribute if we get to be a part of the end product, right? We're willing to contribute. We're willing to testify. We're willing to bring our gifts and talents to bear if we get to be part of the end product. I'm happy to go and work with Habitat for Humanity as long as I can be the one to hand off the house key, right? But I don't want to just dig a hole that nobody's ever gonna know I dug and I don't want to pour concrete in that that nobody's ever gonna see my thumbprint in. And yet that's what the prophets did. They faithfully obeyed the invitation of God to collaborate. And so then when we come to Luke chapter two and we hear the angels declaring these truths, it's a key that unlocks for the shepherds if they knew the prophecies, if they knew what had come before, if they'd heard it. It's a key that unlocks, this is who we're talking about, what Micah had said, what Haggai has said, what Isaiah has said. Today is born for you a Savior, Christ the Lord, who will bring peace to all. They work together. There's this collaborative work. But here's what's interesting about the angels, right? The angels in Luke chapter two, they declare this message, but according to 1 Peter chapter one, verses 10 through 12, again, look at what it says in verse 12 of 1 Peter one. It says at the end of this section in verse 12, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, about the prophets, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit, sin from heaven. Here it is, look at the end of verse 12. Things into which angels long to look. Things into which angels long to look. Peter's trying to paint a picture for us here. The, the word there that's talking about longing to look is the word paracupto, and it means to stoop down or to lean into, to peer into with interest, right? The angels peer into the redemptive story that God is telling in our lives, and they wonder. They're fascinated by it. It's a, this idea of like stooping down to see it. It's funny, at, um, at Halloween this year, we were walking around in one of the neighborhoods, uh, you know, kind of west of harbor, over there behind Big Slice, right? It's a cool little neighborhood there. And at Halloween time, that'd be tur- that kind of turns into like a whole little street fair. There's like people out everywhere. It's really fun. But as we were walking around, I noticed that my wife was kind of lingering. And I'm like, come on, let's go. There's more candy. We got to get more candy. We gotta, we're on a clock here. Let's go. We got candy to get. And my wife's like, no, we got to go slower. And I'm like, why? She says, well, at dusk, it's really nice because at dusk, all the inside lights of these homes are on. And you can look through their dining room windows and see the way they've decorated their walls, see the way they've decorated their tables, get a sense of their art, the way they've laid out their house. It's very interesting to see. And I'm like, you get how creepy this is, right? <laughs> you're basically describing like the operating mode of a peeping Tom, that's what you're talking about. And I'm just trying to get some candy, so can we get out of here? I don't wanna, but what's she doing? She's, she's leaning in, she's interested in the way other people have decorated their house. By the way, uh, don't judge my wife because you know you do that too, right? You know you do that too. She is creepy, but not just for that. Um, so <laughs> she's gonna be her next service, and I'm not. I'm not gonna make that joke. Okay. So, <laughs> but this idea of looking intently, of leaning in, think about the the idea that the angels were sent by God. They were commanded. They are messengers by nature. They were commanded by God. And I don't know what kind of, I don't know what kind of GPS they've got. You know how they get their assignments. But God says to the angels on this particular night, I want you to take this message. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign unto you. You'll find the babe wrapped in in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And then the rest of the army is gonna show up and you're gonna shout glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. That's what you're supposed to declare. And here here are the coordinates on the Rand McNally map or whatever. These are the coordinates where you're supposed to show up. And so you imagine the angels punching in the coordinates and then they appear on scene and there has to be a moment of like, these can't be the right coordinates, right? A bunch of scruffy, scrawny, dirty shepherds on a hillside. I mean, there's not even that many of them, right? He didn't send us to a king. He didn't send us to a palace. I mean, Bethlehem at this point is packed because of the census. In fact, there's so many people in Bethlehem, there's no place for Mary and Joseph to have their baby. Why not send the angels to where the largest crowd was? God has a purpose that's bigger and different than ours. It doesn't always make sense to us. And what 1 Peter tells us is that the angels declare this message and they, they don't fully comprehend it. In the same way that the prophets declare a message that was given to them through inspiration without fully understanding it, the angels, in order to glorify God, they obey him and they declare their message without totally getting the whole redemptive story. It's interesting, when Paul writes about the angels, there are several places where he talks about them. It says in, um, let me find it here in my notes, in Ephesians chapter three. In Ephesians 3, seven, Paul says this, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. First Corinthians chapter four, verse nine, Paul says this, for I think that God has exhibited us apostles, he's exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels, and to men. Isn't that interesting? That the angels are looking on intently, they've declared the message of the Messiah, they've declared the fulfillment of prophecy, but they don't totally get it. And they're peering in, why? Because this redemptive work that God is doing is not for the angels, This work of salvation through grace, the death and resurrection of Christ, is not something they comprehend or understand. They look at us with interest, and yet we see them heralding the truth despite the fact they don't know all the details. I think sometimes for us, the fact that we don't know everything, the fact that we don't have it all figured out is is, is the reason why we say, well, I can't share anything. I don't know everything, so I can't share anything, right? I don't really wanna talk to my neighbors about Jesus because I'm not a theologian. I don't really wanna talk to my family about this because I'm afraid I'll get the details wrong. I haven't quite figured out the pre-millennial, post-millennial thing. I haven't quite figured out predestination, so I'm just gonna keep my mouth shut because I don't understand the whole thing. Do you see in this text That both the prophets and the angels declared what God inspired them or commanded them to declare despite the fact that neither of those groups fully understood the whole picture. They leaned into the mystery of it. And Paul will use the idea of the mystery of God revealed in Christ 21 times in his epistles. Again and again he will say God is revealing a mystery through Christ that people long to understand, that they long to comprehend, that the angels stoop down and peer into And yet what? God invites these angels who don't get the whole story. They don't get the whole picture. They don't fully comprehend it. He invites them what? To declare what they do know. To declare what they have seen. To collaborate and to contribute to the story that God is telling, despite the fact that they don't understand the whole thing. This morning, my friends, you might not understand the whole thing, but I wonder if there aren't places in which you have the opportunity to give your voice, to give testimony and witness to what you do understand. To what you do comprehend. And look at the result of this, by the way. These, these angels, they give in obedience for the good of others without fully understanding, but with eagerness and interest. The, in essence, the angel's posture is, what's God going to do next, right? Have you ever felt that? What's God going to do next? When he invites us to step into the mystery, you know that something cool is always going to happen, But many of us are afraid of mystery, right? We're afraid of the unfinished or the incomplete. Again, kind of like pouring footings in Habitat for Humanity. We want to see the plans. We want to see the kind of house that's going to be built. We want to know who's going to live there, and we want to make sure they know we helped build their house. Sometimes God invites us just to dig a trench and pour some concrete in it, and you don't see the house. You don't know the people. But what's he doing? He's inviting you to collaborate, to step into the mystery and there is a huge blessing for those who lean in, for those who are obedient. Look at the result in this particular text. The result is what we see with the, with the shepherds. Luke chapter two, back to it. Look at verse 15. When the angels went away from them, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. By the way, if you're taking notes this morning, underline that has happened. I love the fact that the shepherds don't say, ah, let, let's go over into Bethlehem and see if these angels know what they're talking about. Or let's go over into Bethlehem and, you know, just, I mean, maybe we'll peek in there because who knows? No, there's, there's faith that is a catalyst for movement. They say, let's go to Bethlehem and see what? The thing that has happened that God made known to us. They're confident that this has occurred. There's faith that is a catalyst for movement. They say, let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. They went with haste. You might underline the word haste. There was no pause. They didn't go, oh, you know, we're going to go check out the Messiah wrapped in a, in a swaddling cloth lying in a manger. The angels just shouted at us about, we're going to see that. But first, we want to recount the sheep and make sure, you know, that none of them are Like, no, they get out of there, right? They're eager. There's an excitement in the literal sense, right? When we think about excitement, uh, when we think about the word excitement, we just think like happy times. Like, I'm, I'm excited that there's going to be a new season of The Crown on Netflix. or whatever. That's not what we're talking about, right? excited excitement literally means to stir up to action these shepherds are stirred up to action they're excited by what God has declared they say let's go and see what has happened they make haste look at verse 16 they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger which is exactly what the shepherd said or excuse me what the angel said the angels had said, this will be the sign. The sign of the coming of the Messiah, the sign of peace and joy for all men is not gonna be a fireworks display. It's not gonna be you know, a giant robot with lasers shooting out of his eyes. The sign of God among us, Emmanuel, is just a baby wrapped in a, a, a swaddling cloth lying in a food trough I was struck as I went through the walk through Bethlehem thing the other night. Um, when you first come into the manger scene, if you've done that already, when you first come into the manger scene, the, the baby is just like sitting on this rock food trough, right? Just, and I, I literally thought like, that's no way to treat a baby, you know? Like you're going to, like somebody is going to report us for that. You can't put a baby on a rock. That's a ba- Babies don't like that, you know? And then eventually Joseph picks the baby up and hands her to Mary. But it was unlikely to find a baby in a manger. That's not a, a normal place to keep a baby, Right? You don't normally put a baby in a food trough. And so they go, and they find the baby in the food trough, and they know that what what the angels had declared to them was true. The sign came to fruition. So look at what it says. Back to Luke chapter 2. They find Mary and Joseph, the baby lying in a manger. Verse 17, when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. They started to tell people, angels told us we'd find a baby in a food trough. And you know what? We went with haste, and guess what we found? baby lying in a food trough right who would have thunk it says everyone who heard their declaration their witness their herald their testimony this is all who heard it verse 18 wondered at what the shepherds had told them can I tell you that's the goal for all of us the goal for all of us is to declare what we've been told and what we've seen so that others would wonder right that it would stir in the hearts of other people this sense of like, what is this all about? Why would a grown man worship Jesus? Why would a grown man spend his life studying the scriptures or or singing these songs that it would stir up wonder? You you recognize, I think for many of us, sometimes we we feel like it's our job to save people, right? Like it's our job to get them to start crying and fall down on their knees and pray, Jesus, listen, we can't do that. We don't save people, right? We don't have the power to do that. Only Jesus saves We've been called to be witnesses or ambassadors that God is reconciling the world to himself, that he's not holding men's sins against them, that he extends his grace to them. Our call is to go, this is what I've seen and this is what I've heard, that they would wonder and that God would rescue them. I think sometimes we we're only interested in evangelism we get to close the deal. I know that's kind of a crass way to say it, but we want to be there when the person, you know, repents of their sin and they turn to Jesus. Well, you know what, we're, that's, that's not our job. Our job's not always to be there in the same way that our job is not always to hand the house keys to the Habitat for Humanity home, right? That I just get to collaborate. I get to contribute. The shepherds have seen and heard something spectacular and all they know is they want to declare that to other people. Other people hear their testimony and they wonder. I love that that's the result. That should be our goal, to stir the hearts of other people towards God so that he can draw them to himself. It says, all who heard it, verse 18, wondered at what the shepherds told them. Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. Verse 20, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Listen, the prophets declared something that wasn't for them. The angels declared something they didn't understand. And the result of that was that it catalyzed and excited more witnesses who both declared what they had seen and heard, but also glorified and praised God for what had been revealed. You see the way that God had invited these prophets and these angels and these shepherds into the collaborative story. And I'll tell you, it's not two categories of heralds here who didn't understand. The shepherds also didn't understand the whole story, right? When the shepherds are declaring what they'd seen and heard, they're not thinking about the cross. They're not thinking about the resurrection. They're not thinking about the Lord Jesus dying and rising from the dead and extending resurrection life. They don't get the whole story. You know what the shepherds get? Angels told us a baby was in a food trough and that he would bring peace to the world and we don't know how God's gonna do that, but we did see the baby in the food trough. That's the whole message they've got and it stirs the hearts of people. It stirs the hearts of people. None of these groups, none of these heralds know the whole story. None of them see the whole big picture. They might guess at it. They might study intently to discern it. They might stoop in and peer to understand it, but they don't get the whole thing. They just have their part. They have their peace. And that's very important for us as we head into this Christmas season, because while the mystery of God has been revealed in Christ, you study the book of Colossians, Paul talks about that in chapter 1, in chapter 2, in chapter 3, in chapter 4, that the mystery is no longer a mystery. The mystery of God has been revealed in Christ, but God continues to tell a redemptive story that he invites us into, and we don't necessarily get to see the end result. Here we have three categories of people. We've got those who were inspired, that's the prophets. We've got those who were commanded, that's the angels. They were obedient. And we've got those who were excited. I wonder if there aren't times in your life where God inspires you, where God inspires you to say something or to write something or to proclaim something and you suppress it because you don't really understand why now. Well, what will people think? What will people say? I'm not gonna say that. That doesn't even make sense to me. I don't wanna seem crazy, I'm not gonna speak this thing that God has asked me to say, right? Why, because we're unwilling to step into the mystery. We wanna know what the house is gonna look like before we dig the trench. Sometimes God commands us, have you ever had that happen? You're driving in your car and God goes, you need to call this person and ask for forgiveness. You need to repent of your sin. You need to turn around, go back, and fix the damage you've just done, whatever. There are times where God says, A commandment to us, and you know what? There are times in our lives where we suppress it again. We go, ah, that's too awkward. It's too weird. I I don't. The GPS coordinates seem off. I don't. don't, I'm not going to go say that to a bunch of shepherds or whatever. Like, you know, this seems like a weird assignment. I'm not doing it. God commands us, and we push it aside. Why? Because we're unwilling to step into the mystery. There are times where God excites us. You're studying His Word you're singing his praises, you hear testimony or witness of something that God has done, and the hair on your arm stands up, and you start to feel him stir you to action, and then what happens? You suppress it. You know, I don't want to be a holy roller, I don't want to be a weirdo, I'm not going to be that guy who gets all excited, I'm just going to tone it, I just want to be even keeled, right? Why? Because you don't want to step into the mystery. And you know what happens when you, when, you, when you refuse or fail to step into the mystery? You know who misses out? God's redemptive purpose is is unhindered right god's still going to do the thing he's going to do when you fail to step into the mystery you know who loses you 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 are the one who misses out on being a part of that collaborative work that god is doing in those moments where you're inspired in those moments where you're commanded in those moments where you're excited don't turn away you might not know what the house looks like at the end of the project but dig the trench pour the concrete Plug away because you'll come back five, six years later and you'll drive through a neighborhood with kids on their bikes and people in the yard and you'll go, and they don't even know this, but there's some concrete under there with my thumbprint in it. Praise God that I got to pour that concrete. Each and every one of us have the potential to herald what we've seen and heard that others would wonder. Don't miss the opportunity to give your voice when God calls you to give it. Would you pray with me this morning? God, I pray that you would stir in us a deep sensitivity to the movement of your spirit when you inspire. A deep sensitivity to the movement of your spirit when you command or convict. And a deep sensitivity to your spirit when you excite us that we would be your heralds We might not know the whole story. We might not know what's gonna happen. We might not know how how the seed that we're planting will produce fruit, but we can trust you because you are good, because you are a good God who is just and right, and you invite us to contribute what we've got. I pray, God, that we would be those who would never stifle our voice, that we would never suppress action that you've prompted in us, but that we would step into the mystery and enjoy what you produce as a result.